1: Post your free job on linkedin.com recommend today.
0: This would be about 50 from here. May protected well this time. It's Walker
1: again. Taz Walker, third touchdown of the night.
2: North Carolina, and here we go. May just barely got it away, and the ball is caught. For Virginia at the 42. The, this would be the good and the bad from North Carolina Drake May, who seems to be the quarterback with the most varying of opinions from the so-called experts. Uh, maybe this year's version of Will Levis. Uh, good morning, everybody. Merrill Hodge, who made headlines earlier in the week. Uh, with the junkies by saying he doesn't view May as a first-round pick. We'll be our guest this morning, one hour from now at 11 a.m. We'll get his opinions on the other guys as well. Uh, This may be a recency bias thing or one of those, you know, just living in the moment things, but I really think the opinions on this particular quarterback class are all over the place like we've never seen before. Now, the good news is I don't think anybody thinks that this is a bad quarterback class. It's not like the opinions are all over the place like the, the 22 class uh, with Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis, etc., um, where they were just trying to find a guy worthy of a top 10 or a top half of the first round pick. The good news is that pretty much everybody agrees that there seems to be real possibilities with at least a few of these guys, if not more than a few. But man, the opinions are all over the place. Part of that, I think, is just that we have more, you know, perceived, qualified people weighing in uh, than ever before. Uh, you know, the perception that, you know, former players or former coaches or guys that have been front office evaluators, GMs, or in the case of guys like Kuyper, you know, who've made a career out of doing this, there just seems to be so many more people doing this, especially since they can deliver their content so easily um, via social media and other ways. Uh, But man, there is just so much out there on all of these guys. And it's just so different. You know, if you think back, Denton, just two and a half months ago, or roughly two and a half months ago, maybe almost three months ago now, early December, the game that Michael Penix Jr. played against Oregon in the Pac 12 title game, people were going nuts after that game, talking about him as, oh, he's the number two behind Caleb Williams. Has to be. Did you see him play? Do you see the deep ball, the smooth left-handed delivery? I think Caleb Williams remains the most popular pick to be the number one selection. Um, it's seemed you know all along to be almost preordained since his Heisman junior year. But Dan Orlovsky this morning on Get Up with the Greenberg show, he has switched. He had been a Drake May number one overall guy, and now he is adamant that Jaden Daniels should be the top pick. Um, I'll play some of what or- Orlovsky said a little bit later on in the show. Uh, I still think that there's a chance that Daniels could go number one. I do. Denton and I have, have felt that way for a while, and, um, it seems like right now, the deeper that people go on May, the opinions become more split on May. Whereas the deeper people are going on Daniels, it seems to be more of a consensus like, OMG! exclamation point! How is this guy not being considered as the top overall candidate? But anyway, uh, Drake May today... Uh, Merrill Hodge will weigh in. and then Drake May's high school coach, the first guy that had him, knew that May's future was the NFL. Scott Chadwick, who by the way, is a, you know, is a native of of Maryland, grew up here, is a huge skins fan. He coached him in Charlotte when Drake May was in high school. He's a friend and a mentor to May. He'll be with us at noon. You'll hear what uh, he said. Uh, you know, the Will Levis, comparison is actually an interesting one because remember Will Levis was the quarterback last year where there were all of these split opinions and the people that were into to Levis were really into Levis and the people that weren't into Levis just said no not worthy of first-round grade. He was, at various points leading up to the draft, a top-five, top-ten projected pick. In fact, Denton, I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember, and I had to look this up just to to make sure that I wasn't thinking about another quarterback from last year's class. He, in April, early April, became the number-one odds favorite to be the number-one overall overall. It was like one of those things we came in and we're like, wow, what do people know about Will Levis? Do you remember that?
1: Yeah, that's because of a weird Reddit thread.
2: Was that what it was, a Reddit thread? Yeah, it was
1: a weird Reddit thread that severely boosted the odds and they went down after like a day.
2: Yeah, Um, but there was definite first-round hype over him as well as, obviously, uh, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, and Anthony Richardson. Um, But one of the things that seems to be a consensus now on May more than the other two, uh, and you're hearing it now from a lot of corners, is that he's the one out of the three that would benefit the most from not playing initially that he'd be the one that would benefit from sitting behind a veteran quarterback. And part of that, and it seems to be a building consensus as it relates to May, is that he just doesn't have the footwork yet. Uh, It's a little bit sloppy. Not that it can't be improved, but there are various people that believe he's got to be a Jordan Love situation, that he's got to sit. Uh, for some time. Anyway, we'll talk to Merrill Hodge at 11. We'll talk to Drake Mays, high school coach, after that. Lots of quarterback uh, talk on the show today, but that's not the only thing uh, we're going to talk about. The RFK site plan passed in the house. That's good news for the potential of the team landing back in D.C. at the RFK site. Joe Maloney, who used to be uh, until the end of the year, in the Washington Commanders organization as the head of their consumer affairs and as the point person on all stadium uh, talk. He is now not working with the organization anymore. He's actually working for the Gaming Association uh, and is very intimately involved in sort of Congress's oversight on the legalized sports betting industry. Joe's going to be our guest at 1035. Joe's a friend. Joe is really smart, Um, Joe was one of those people I referred to uh, in the organization here in recent years as being much different than the people they used to have uh, in the organization. So Joe will be on with us at 10.35. He was intimately involved in all of this. He knows exactly what happened yesterday and what it means. So 10.35 for what are the odds now on RFK becoming the next home of our football team? Uh let's start uh the morning. Not really start, but let's continue the morning with a what do you got? All right, all right, all right.
1: What, what do, do you, got? you got?
2: So last night for me, Denton, was you know, a hoops night. I, I mean all of this quarterback talk and the draft stuff, it does get to be a bit exhausting. And it really is like a pinball machine with all of the different opinions. You know, I would suggest to all of you who really consider yourselves to be, you know, football savvy as much as you can be as a fan, watch the games, watch the tape yourselves. Come up with the answers on your own. You know, unless there's somebody that you just absolutely believe is right much more often than not, that's a hard thing to find in the evaluation of college players and projecting them into the NFL. Um, But because I don't know that anybody's ever been near perfect or even, you know, batted 50% plus Uh, Merrill Hodge did say last year that CJ Stroud was the only first round grade quarterback he had. I personally have always felt that Cooley does one of the best jobs watching tape. As a longtime tight end in the game and one of the smartest players on every single team that he played on, one of the people in the room that all of his coaches, I mean, Mike Shanahan used to tell me all the time, nobody absorbed quicker and understood it faster than Cooley did. Um, I always have felt that his film breakdowns have been spot on. Uh, He's missed on some guys for sure. Uh, But he's going to do some of that film breakdown on the quarterbacks for us uh, as we approach the draft. And I will definitely take his thoughts and opinions when he does his homework very seriously. But go watch it yourself. Come up with your own answers. Uh, It's hard to come up with, well, what does that mean at the next level? But you're NFL people. You understand it. I mean... Look, we I do this for a living, and so you got to have an opinion. Sometimes the right opinion is not having an opinion. Um I like Jaden Daniels. I've said that since October. I couldn't understand at all why anybody would have him outside the top uh, you know, 15. And he was not even a first-round projected this time last year or even before the season began. I just see a guy that would fit into almost any NFL offense because He throws it so well, he throws it so well fundamentally, and then he's got this outrageous video game, uh, you know, explosive ability with his legs as a playmaker. And I see that with Caleb Williams too. Um, I don't see it as much with Drake May, that's just my personal thought on Drake May. Uh, To me, it's Williams or Daniels, and it comes down to, you know, what they think about the person and their evaluation of what kind of person they are getting. I do think it is interesting that the team's met with all six quarterbacks, and we will get to the Josh Harris sitting in on all of these meetings at Indy. Trust me, I know that some of you thought that would be the lead today. Sheehan's going to go off and say nothing's changed. No, I do have an opinion on that, and we will get to that on the show today. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Josh Harris – has been in Indianapolis and has sat in on all six of the quarterback 15-minute meetings that they have had there. It's very unusual for owners to do that. Uh, But we will talk about that, I promise you. But man, the quarterback conversation is just so consuming. So last night, and this is my what do you got. I mean, you know I love hoops and I watch a lot of basketball. Basketball. And I'm now finally getting into watching a lot of college basketball other than just Maryland. Maryland lost uh, last night is heard right here on our station, the Team 980, your home for Maryland basketball. They lost to Northwestern 68-61. Very, very frustrating loss. It's pretty much been the case in every single Maryland loss. It's a winnable game against a good team, but they just didn't shoot it well. They guarded well. They did so many things at a very high level, but they were two for 22 from behind the arc. That is so hard to do. If any of you are involved in basketball in the area, you know you can walk into any gym where you've got, you know, an AAU level team or a rising star level team, travel level team, real competitive basketball somewhere in town. And there's no way that you're going to watch a two for 22 from the three point line performance. And this is college basketball. It is unbelievable how badly. They, how bad they are as a shooting team. Horrendous shooting team. It's such a shame because they are so good defensively. They are so physically tough and competitive on the defensive end. They try so hard. And it's why they've won games this year, including some games that people didn't think they would win. But it's Just so limited offensively. Unbelievable how limited it is offensively. And here's the thing if you watch the game last night. It's not like the threes they took were all contested or were all bad shots. The majority of them are like, of course you have to take that shot. You know, they double down on the post. You reverse the ball in a great uh, w- with great ball movement and you've got your shooter, one of the guys that you think is a shooter, freshman Jamie Kaiser Jr. wide open in the corner, feet set, nobody within 7 feet of him, and he's 0 for 5 on threes. I mean, 2 for 22. College. Um tough loss for the Terps. They're going to be a tough out in the Big Ten tournament. Uh, they are, because they have not had a game in which they have gotten destroyed since literally early in the Big Ten season. They got beat by double digits at home against Purdue. Every other game they have played, they've either won or they have had a legitimate chance to win the game. Northwestern was missing a couple of pieces last night, so Maryland had opportunity. Look, two for 22. If you go five for 22, just five for 22, you win the game. I know the context of the game would change, but just a couple, if you have a a horrible night shooting from behind the arc, you probably win that game last night rather than the epically awful night shooting the three. But that's what, that was part one of my hoops night last night. I stayed up last night, Denton, you know I'm I'm a Kawhi Leonard guy. You know I'm a Clippers guy. I I bet them two months ago plus 800 to win the Western Conference before they just at the beginning of them really starting to get it together with Harden. And so I watch a lot of the Clippers games. Yes, I do. Um, and last night, two things. I'm so glad I stayed up to watch. Well, actually, one thing I'm not glad I stayed up to watch, but it was enlightening. LeBron James had one of the best quarters of his career. In the fourth quarter, the Clippers had a 21-point lead, 19 going into the fourth quarter, 21 with a first bucket to start the fourth quarter. And then from that point forward, LeBron James singly, single-handedly outscored the Clippers team 19 to 14 from down 21. And the Lakers roared back and won the game down twenty-one, won one sixteen to one twelve. I've never been the LeBron, you know, is just as good as Michael. Just as, you know, no, no. LeBron's probably Mount Rushmore worthy in terms of the non-center conversation. I think you've always got to put that conversation in its proper context. The great centers are kind of a category of their own for me. Um, LeBron, at 39 years old, is it it looks like he is bigger, stronger, faster, and more athletic, and maybe with more endurance than I've ever seen LeBron be. He had a quarter last night. He was 5-for-8 from behind the arc. He had five threes in the fourth quarter. 5 19 points in the fourth quarter single-handedly strapped this team which is not great around him. Anthony Davis is great, okay? But we know what Anthony Davis is. He is an, an an extraordinary talent and yet for whatever reason, you know, he gets the alchies every once in a while and just, you know, has to be carted off the the the, the floor in a wheelchair with a fingernail, you know, that's ingrown. So you can't count on Anthony Davis when it matters. You can count on LeBron, man. And I don't know. It's almost weird. I don't think there's any regression in his game. If anything, he's getting better. I think he's a better shooter at 39 years old than he's been at any point in his his career. And the numbers actually reflected he's 40.8% from behind the arc right now. It's the best three-point shooting percentage of his career. Like, he hasn't been above 36.5% in the last 10 years. He's shooting 40.8% from the floor. His field goal percentage at 52.6% is the highest in eight years for him. His passing is always brilliant. He's averaging 7.9 assists, the highest number in five years for him. His actual turnover count seems low when I watch LeBron, but the average is somewhere around his career average. I don't know if anybody else feels this way. And I'm not, by, by the way, I'm not suspicious at all. But he looks bigger, stronger, faster, more athletic at 39, and a better overall player right now than I've seen LeBron James look in a long time. And if he keeps doing this and he wills the Lakers into contention in April and May because he is playing right now when he's on the floor at a very high level. Now, the one thing that's changed a little bit, the minutes – he t- he definitely rests more. All right, last night he was resting. I didn't even think he was going to come back in the game because I thought the game was over. But clearly, Darvin Ham knew that we still have one trick to play, and he talked about LeBron basically, you know, taking the cape from you know his chair, strapping it on, and willing them back. This was one of the great LeBron James performances of his career. It was breathtaking to watch what he did and his energy level, and then he was guarding Kawhi on the other end. The two of them were guarding each other. Kawhi, they kept switching, and uh, Kawhi would end up off LeBron when he hit all those threes. I just can't believe how good he is at 39 years old. I know it's a new day, and we have seen with... You know, diet and training and everything else. Athletes continue to be great athletes longer. But right now, I'm not so sure LeBron's any worse than he's ever been. And last night, he was sensational in the fourth quarter. Just incredible, including after Kawhi had scored four straight when they were down six to cut it to two. Then they got another stop, and they had the last chance. They went to Leonard. Leonard got to one of his spots to try to hit one of those fadeaways, and LeBron all over him, and Kawhi missed the shot at you know essentially at the horn with about three seconds to go that would have tied it and forced overtime. LeBron James worth the watch right now. I've just never been the big LeBron guy, and have always just scoffed at the LeBron Michael conversation. To me, Michael's killer. Competitive spirit was always something that carried the day in that conversation, but good God is LeBron playing at a high level. Like the NBA, I really hope they get into the postseason. And I don't want to see them in this play in thing. They are three games out of the six seed right now. I'd like to see them advance into that round. It's going to be amazing, though, if LeBron sitting there is like the eight seed. And they play like the Thunder or the Timberwolves in the first round. Incredible performance. Uh, The bad news for me, who I have uh, a a substantial wager on the Clippers at plus 800 to win the West, is that Ty Lue's so overrated as a coach. I've never seen a more disorganized team. They are so gifted individually. uh, But there is just... For anybody that's ever been involved in basketball and understands the sport, it is painful to watch them play offense. There is no rhythm. There is no plan. There is no organization. It's pitiful. It's garbage to watch. Uh, they can't even get the ball inbounds when they need to get the ball inbounds. This is something that I still don't get at the NBA level or even the college level. How don't college teams and NBA teams have two to three inbounds passes when they got to get the ball inbounds against real pressure? Why is it always just operation get open? I don't understand that. You know, you can go watch a well-coached eighth-grade team, ninth-grade team, and that coach has three inbounds plays for a side inbounds or an underneath their own basket inbounds, against pressure. And there they are at the end in a key possession, and nobody's moving, nobody's screening for each other, there's no plan, and Harden throws the ball into the Lakers' bench turnover. Uh, Just, I I know that NBA coaches, it's more about getting along with your players and your players not being, you know, off-put by your personality you know, it's a star-driven league. It's a creators league. But man, you got to have some stuff that you run when the game gets tight. And they don't—they don't run it. Run anything. There are there are thirty high school coaches in, in this area that would have coached the Clippers much better last night. And Ty Lue admitted it after the game. He said, "We were completely disorganized. It's on me." At the end. Um. All right. Uh, Joe Maloney on the stadium thing coming up uh, in about 10 minutes. Uh, I want to—I I don't know if anybody saw this story, but remember Josh Harris was an owner of another NFL franchise. Well, he isn't anymore. I'll explain when we come back. Kevin Sheehan Show, the Team 980 and theteam980.com. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game.
1: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: So we will get to on this show uh, today, Josh Harris, the report from Adam Schefter earlier this morning or late last night that Josh Harris is out in Indianapolis and he has been sitting in on the quarterback uh meetings the 15-minute interviews uh which you know many people out there say is very unusual for an owner to do that um a lot of you have said i hope you're going to talk about this uh this reeks of you know who uh as in dan um we will get to that i promise you on the show a little bit later on the stadium news we'll get to on uh, with Joe Maloney at 1035 in about eight minutes uh, from now. But Josh Harris, remember, was not only the you know majority owner and is the majority owner of the Philadelphia 76ers and the New Jersey Devils, but he and his partner, business partner, David Blitzer, had a stake roughly, uh, as it's been reported by Forbes, roughly a 5% stake in the Pittsburgh Steelers. Well, he obviously has had to sell that. And put that up. And Forbes reported, uh, De- uh, Mike Ozanian, who we've, we've had on the show many times in the past, that they have found a buyer for their combined 4.8% stake in the Steelers. Um, the buyer's billionaire financier, Thomas Tull, and Art Rooney II, um, part of the Rooney family, obviously. Uh, he is the president of the team and he's going to be buying back some of the shares that Harrison Blitzer owned. The value is what is interesting because if you recall, um, back in 2021, roughly the spring of 2021, Fred Smith, Dwight Schar, and Robert Rothman, the three minority shareholders of the Washington football team at the time, they owned roughly 40% of the team, and Dan and his sister and the Snyder family owned the remaining 60% of the team. Well, Dan purchased back all of those shares, uh, and he paid $875 million to buy them out. Now, they're suing... The bank uh, that was involved in that sale um, because they feel like they were basically ripped off and they weren't shown the financials that they should have been showed, showed uh, and they ended up selling their stake for a much lower value. Um, essentially, their Uh, they were bought out at a valuation of roughly $2.2 billion. The team ended up selling for $6 billion. Now, as minority shareholders, you're never going to get majority stakeholders valuation. But they got a $2.2 billion valuation in 2021, and the team was sold basically two years later for $6 billion. So... They did not necessarily do a great job of negotiating. But remember, at that point, they just wanted out. They just wanted to get out from underneath Snyder, who they didn't trust anymore, who they were suing and they were involved in all these different things. And remember, you know, you had a guy like Dwight Shar, who had done some pretty untoward things to, you know, try to shake Dan up and get him to sell the majority stake. That's what they really wanted. You know, Smith, Shaw, and Rothman wanted to buy the team. Well, Dan wasn't going to sell him the team, not at that point. And Dan actually did the right thing by waiting and getting through all of the, you know, the muck, and then finding the Harris Group to sell the team for six billion dollars to. Well, anyway, so we fast forward two and a half years later. Um, that was a two point two billion dollar valuation on what the minority shareholders were bought out for. Josh Harris and David Blitzer, according to Forbes, are being bought out of their stake at a four billion dollar plus valuation. I I don't I can't tell you that that is really good or just good or fair both sides. I don't know. You could look at the six billion dollar sale of Washington, but again, it's a minority share purchase. Um, you know they're selling minority shares not you know majority shares uh, but it is almost double what Rothman Shar and Fred Smith were were bought out for just 2 years ago so no longer uh, does Josh Harris and David Blitzer have a stake in the Pittsburgh Steelers i don't know if the deal's actually closed or not But they'll do pretty well, you know. Roughly a five percent, you know, on four billion dollar valuation, they'll walk away with, you know, roughly two hundred million dollars. I don't know if they had any debt associated with that or not, Um, but um, yeah, Uh, for just a five percent stake, where the other dudes were selling a forty percent stake, I don't. I still, I don't know what kind of argument they would have to go back and extract more from a sale that they agreed to and signed off on. Unless Snyder was really dealing them horrible numbers and was somehow fraudulent in the sale. I guess that's what they're alleging. All right. RFK appears to be open for business. We'll get the blow by blow, how it came to fruition. And what's next from Joe Maloney, who was with the Commander's organization and was the point person on all of this stadium talk. He joins us next.
1: History for the Lakers last night. They overcome a twenty one point fourth quarter deficit. That's the largest of LeBron James's career. They did so in beating the Clippers. And they host the Wizards tonight at ten thirty. Nokula akulabali for the Wizards. He's going to miss his second game in a row with a pelvic contusion. Denny Avdia listed as questionable with a heel contusion. You can hear that game right here on the Team 980. Northwestern beat Maryland last night 68-61. to 61. Jameer Young at 24 points for the Terps. Deshaun Harris-Smith added 14 points. And that's what's trending. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of
2: a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. So late yesterday afternoon, the House of Representatives passed a bill uh, that is uh, was titled the DC RFK Memorial Stadium Campus. Revitalization Act. It passed by a vote of 348 to 55, which many people believe is a significant hurdle cleared uh, that will ultimately end up and conclude with the commanders moving back into D.C. at the RFK site. Jumping on with us right now, courtesy of our BetQL guest hotline, is Joe Maloney. Joe currently is the senior VP of Uh, At the American Gaming Association, Uh, he knows just a bit about sports betting now, uh, probably a lot more than he used to know. But before joining the American Gaming Association, Joe was the head of public affairs uh, for the Washington Commanders and the Washington football team before that. And Joe jumps on with us courtesy of our BetQL guest hotline. So, What I'd like you to do, and you're always good at doing this, is just kind of walking through chronologically how we got to yesterday, what happened yesterday, and then what's next. And then we can talk about sort of the percentage chances that this ends in what we all want it to end with, which is the skins back at RFK.
0: Okay. Good morning, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. You know, last night was a monumental uh, moment and a sort of a dramatic, the important event for two cohorts of people, those that believe in home rule and the district to have the ability to self-govern and to have the opportunity to control their own economic destiny when it comes to public lands that are in the hands of the federal government and currently unused. And then the other cohort of folks are those that would like to see the team go back to, to RFK. So... It was a it was a massive hurdle to have to have jumped over and to have crossed, and the work began. I mean, ne- nearly a decade ago, Kevin. I you know this has long been identified as an opportunity for the club as far as its next home. This parcel of land and previous ownership had invested some resources and had devoted some capacities in partnership with the mayor to engage Congress on this important question. And and as your listeners know, and as you well know, an act of Congress is required. This is not a perfunctory step. This is not a just-in-case step. This is fundamentally required because that parcel of land is owned by the federal government. It is under a lease that expires in 2038, and it has a significant use restriction in that lease, which is for purposes of a stadium and recreation only. So only an act of Congress would change the terms of that lease or set forward a path to transfer the land fully to the district. During my tenure, I would say towards the end of the Snyder ownership and, you know, six months into um, Josh Harris and his uh, investor group owning the club, the effort was to be far more substantive than what had been deployed in the past. What had been deployed in the past by Dan and Bruce and others, and even the mayor's office was to get this thing tucked into a much larger legislative vehicle, usurp the powers of committees and what's called regular order in the house and the Senate, and just try to get this thing done in a majority leader's office or in a speaker's office. And we knew that, you know, the definition of insanity is trying something again and again and expecting a different outcome. So uh, during my time with the club and under the direction of Jason Wright, It was like, let's do the work. Let's actually go through regular order and see if we can identify somebody that can write a bill, that can work with the city, that can work with the club. And here we are. We found that dance partner and the chairman of the Oversight Committee, Mr. Comer. Mr. Comer worked across the aisle with Democrats and Republicans in his Oversight Committee to to, to get this bill authored, to get it written to go through a massive stakeholder process across the federal government, across multi-jurisdictional committees to write this bill that passed his committee on September 20th, but then uh, a week week or two ago passed the house natural resources committee, which also has jurisdiction over public lands, his committee, the oversight committee has jurisdiction over DC government. And here we are, it, it sails to the floor of the house, Kevin, and has just a massive, massive bipartisan vote. So, Kudos to the mayor's office, uh, to Mr. Comer, to Delegate Eleanor Holmes-Norton, who honestly have been working on this for, for, for so long. So
2: it's a great moment for the city. All right. So what's next?
0: What's next? So, you know, and, and I would caution, I've, I've read a few things in some media publications this morning where it says something in, in quotes, expected passage in the Senate. It's, it's just not that easy. Uh, in, 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 in no small part due to the fact that the District of Columbia does not have Senate representation. So you have a bill that will obviously now pass the House. It will, it will go to in some procedural constitutional way, Kevin. It will go over to the Senate. And it will go to the Senate as what's called a House-reported bill. The House-reported bill will go to the Senate parliamentarian. And the Senate parliamentarian will review that bill, try to understand what the jurisdictional assignment for this bill will be. And it will send it to that committee that has the jurisdiction over public lands and national parks. It's likely to be the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee, which happens to have a committee specifically devoted, a subcommittee devoted to national parks. It will go to that committee. But again, there's not a D.C. senator in that body. Uh, I can't imagine the Maryland senators are going to be really eager to take this up. Can't imagine Senator Kane or Senator Warren Virginia will be eager to sort of carry the torch on this. So the real work really kind of begins right now. And I think the good news is that Mr. Comer, the city, the club, you know, have been communicating with this committee staff over quite some time. This is something, Kevin, let me be really clear for you and your listeners. This is something that the government does all the time. They dispose of federal lands. They dispose of unused federal resources, and they give them back to localities, and they give them back to local jurisdictions. That is a popular Democratic and Republican. Right, for property.
2: monuments, for those kinds post of things office, in the
0: city. You know, unused post offices. Right. You know, it, it is a thing that happens. Republicans like it because it's shrinking the size of the federal government. Democrats like it because it's empowering these local officials to do things like economic development or affordable housing. So just because there isn't a D.C. senator, it is still very much in the wheelhouse of this committee. It's under this committee's charge. They, they, they will have every opportunity to look at and consider this bill. I think what's really important right now, Kevin, and for, you know, it was something that I, I worked on specifically, and it's something that I know the city and the club are going to continue to work on, is to get this bill in front of this committee, get it a hearing, and get it a markup, meaning a markup, the senators would come together and consider and formally vote on the bill to get it to the next phase. Uh, There are you can hotline a House reported bill and have it go for unanimous consent in the Senate. That's not going to happen here because it would require 60 votes in the Senate and there's too many people that would object. Uh, So but if you get this through a bipartisan vote in this committee, which is chaired by Joe Manchin and the ranking member is Senator Barrasso, You have the opportunity then for this legislation to attach to a larger legislative vehicle that is leaving the U.S. Senate at some point between now and the end of the year. So on timing, timing, I think the hope would be to get this done before the end of the year. There's a couple of different opportunities. One, there could be what's called a public lands package that moves through the Senate, and this would certainly be germane to that because – after all, it's a 174-acre parcel that is a public land. There is a national defense authorization that has to go through usually every year, and despite the dysfunction of Congress, they always find a way to do that. And then lastly, obviously, with this being election year, and you're reading a lot right now about potential government shutdowns and funding deadlines, there could be a lame-duck Congress because, again, a new Congress will start next year. There could be a lame-duck Congress after the election, and before the 30 before you know new year's eve basically where they have to get a spending bill done and this could be engrossed in that spending bill
2: Joe Maloney's joining us Joe was the head of consumer affairs public affairs for the Washington football team and the Washington Commanders for several years he's now with the American Gaming Association he was the point person within the organization on all of this stadium talk so i i want to Fast forward and tell me if I'm going too quickly here. But if for you know, everybody, everyone hopes if everything got voted on and approved, and the stadium was in the stadium control had you know this amended lease and this ability to do everything that a football team would want to be able to do at the new stadium site, that's when the negotiation begins. And to me, that's not a given. I know that there is desire from Josh Harris to move back into the city. There is desire for the city to have the team move back in to the district, but it comes down to the team getting a deal that makes sense. So, If we fast forward to, okay, the city now has the ability to do with this parcel of land what the team would want to do, tell me about what happens next in terms of negotiations over a deal and whether or not, you know, it's like a slam dunk that the team would pick D.C. or that D.C. would have the right offer for the team versus Maryland or Virginia.
0: Sure. Yeah, happy to to do that. So let's assume... Everything that's taken place that you described, it's the beginning of 2025. At that point, you know, and again, and, and what I would say about Josh and, and the ownership group is they believe what we've always believed, which is you, you can't call this a multi jurisdictional exercise without DC being at the table. So DC is now at the table. Uh, under a scenario that you described where it is, it is this incredible and spectacular opportunity and all of the policy mechanisms are in place to afford it to take place. You would you would go into probably I would guess I would I would gather you'd go into an exclusive no- negotiation period with the city. Let's say it's ninety or let's say it's one hundred and twenty days. Perhaps it's a little bit longer.
2: Why um, would you do that?
0: I think well, one you, you would afford yourself the opportunity to say you're not running a sweepstakes that you can say in state with some level of intention that you are gonna provide, let's say your option one exclusivity on a negotiation period. But that's all it is, Kevin, remember, it's just a negotiation period. So you'd work to get a deal done. That period would expire and let's say what comes out of that is a deal. Okay. And and you know, maybe it's a handshake agreement and you you know you, you prop up a tent and you go out to RFK and you announce it. At that point, at that point, that agreement needs to go to the city council. And the City Council then takes on the job of approving that, particularly if it involves a public-private partnership, i.e. public monies being devoted to the project. And that even includes general revenues or bonding authority that might be issued by the, uh, by the city to back any, any bonds that are used for the construction of the development or the stadium itself. That is going to be a massively politically fraught exercise, right. I would say, just given the politics on the council right now. And what's interesting, Kevin, too, and I sort of would remind you and, and your listeners, you know, just look at the D.C. United example. You know, Mayor Gray negotiated with the team and produced a construct that was a land swap. And he took that deal to the council in the summer of, I believe it was the summer of 14 or the summer of thirteen. And it wasn't until 18 months later, Kevin, that the council approved that deal. And they went from a land swap to actually a land transfer and land purchase. So, you know, A, for for those that perhaps are, you know, anxious about this moving too fast right now, boy, there's still a long way to go. Um, There's still going to be a massive uh, input opportunity, a significant and substantive input opportunity for the council as well. And ultimately, this becomes something where, like, you're deploying a significant amount of political capital amongst the the club and the mayor's team to try to get this done. So, you know, timelines are really, really difficult, you know, because I just described something, an exclusive negotiation period that would begin in 2025, right? Yeah. A deal might not get approved until 2026, right? Who who negotiates
2: the D.C. uh, portion? Who negotiates on behalf of the city with the team? when that let's sure. just say a 90 to 100 day exclusive you know window for negotiation with the city opens who does that for them
0: yeah, so jurisdictions are different. Uh, obviously, this will be run out of DEMPED, the Deputy Mayor's Office for Planning and Economic Development. It won't surprise you that they'll have land use experts and, and counsel, outside counsel in many instances. And and so what you'll find usually is a city will hire outside counsel to work with their in-house counsel and with their you know point person on economic development to negotiate a deal like this.
2: We're talking to Joe Maloney uh, about the stadium deal. Joe was involved in all of these conversations with Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. for a few years uh, as part of the commander's organization and the head of public affairs. So one last one, because I, I, I'm just trying for everybody. We've got these, you know, hurdles to clear with respect to the House, Senate, etc. But if they get themselves into a position where they can do what they want to do with that land and negotiate a deal with the team, that's what you want. And then the city's going to have to be competitive with other jurisdictions, Maryland and Virginia. Give me a guess as to what that deal would look like in terms of the financial, you know, net number contributed by the city towards a new stadium plan that the team would accept.
0: So, you know, it's been reported in a lot of places and even this morning in the Washington Post that $500 million is probably the floor because that was an artifact that the mayor and the council chairman created on the eve of, 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 of Ted and Governor right. Leontis and Governor Yunkin coming together, that sounds a that's that sounds about right. Uh, ultimately, and, and, and the construct for, for for that was was remarkably different from the construct you're seeing developed in Virginia to finance the development at Potomac Yards for the Capitals and the Wizards. I think the construct that's being deployed in Virginia probably more resembles what you would see in the District or even in Maryland for what the club is looking to 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 do as well. So. I think 500 million is the floor, Kevin, to be quite honest, and I think it needs to go higher than that. This is especially something that's going to be, you know, under the administrative function of the city. It's going to still be on federally owned land. This will ultimately, I think, be a public-private partnership. There's still going to be billions in private investment, but I would also expect, you know, that number to be above $500 million from from the city in either bonding authority or some allocation of general revenues. For it to be competitive, Kevin, let me be clear right.
2: for it to be competitive. Yeah. yeah, I mean, ultimately the team. Do you believe the team has more leverage today with Ted potentially taking the Wizards and Caps to Northern Virginia than it did two months ago?
0: The short answer to that is yes. Uh, the, the the long answer is that I think there was a pre-monumental Virginia decision phase of the commander's search for a stadium and then a post-monumental Virginia agreement to, to relocate those franchises as it affects the commander's stadium. I think the blast radius was pretty significant. I do think it creates more leverage for, for the commanders, and, and here's why. It's a conversation about what is regionalism. And what does economic development look like in this region as it involves our sports teams? And I think that's very, very important because the cities and the regions that do it well and don't get too bogged down about borders and turf wars are the ones that are going to see, I think, broader and more meaningful economic development that fully embraces these franchises. And I think the opportunities they can be to create destinations, right? It's about destinations. Andover doesn't currently feel like a destination, right? But if it becomes a destination, if Potomac Yard becomes a destination, if downtown or RFK were to become a destination, that's economic development opportunity that you, that just, you can't find these, these sports franchises, Kevin are catalytic in their ability to spur economic development, which should yes, provide a social good and should empower communities and should have the right amount of local input into how they're developed into how they function, but that's the opportunity here that we're talking about. And so, yes, I think that I think the club has more leverage.
2: Catalytic, big word from Joe. Everybody's looking through their thesaurus right now on that one. I think that would be sort of like uh, a verb for catalyst. I don't know. Um, all right, I've Get got it. literally sixty seconds here and but I've got two questions. What was the percent chance before yesterday that Washington ended up in d c and what is it today? That's number one. Answer that one.
0: I would say it is even money right now. I would say it's I would say it's fifty percent. It moved from forty percent to probably fifty percent
2: all right, and then lastly, different subject. Uh, FedEx, you know, stop their naming rights. Use that exercise opportunity to get out two years prior to the end of the deal. Quick question: I think everybody understands what happened here, but will, do you think they'll get a new naming rights partner before the season begins? And if they don't, what would they call the stadium?
0: That's a great. Great question. Uh, I have just absolutely zero visibility into it. I think obtaining a naming rights partner before the start of the season is, is very, very difficult. The, the business development cycle for the start of the NFL calendar season is, is probably a few months ago. So to, to begin to traffic with some of these brands and these larger corporations on a spend as big as a naming rights deal would be really really difficult to have it in place for the 24 season, Kevin. So, you know, what would they call it? I mean, Washington Commander Stadium seems to be the most obvious thing. Well, maybe you uh, go
2: back to Jack Ken Cook Stadium. That's what it was before it became FedEx. And there may be some reverence for Jack Ken Cook with the new owners. I don't know. But I was just curious yeah. as to whether or not you thought there was a chance it sounds like it's, you know, it could be a challenge before the season begins. Uh, it
0: it could be it could be a challenge. I mean I would yeah. I would I would I would put a vote in for Bobby Mitchell um as, as the first yeah, player in the club. I think that would be a good
2: Joe, great job. Really appreciate the time and uh, the explanation on everything. Thank you. Have a great day. Yep. Uh, follow Joe on X on Twitter at Joey Maloney. Merrill Hodge next.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.